Welcome to Episode 1B of the inaugural eight-episode series of the 40-Day Hero's Journey podcast, the podcast of original stories where fictional characters find themselves in life situations, and we explore how average folks can be heroes, just like in Hollywood films. At the end of the last episode, we left our hero, Alex, when she learned that the leader of her water quality specialist team needed to go elsewhere and picked her to lead the team in his place. Her reaction gave us a brief glimpse into her psyche and reluctance to be in charge. In today's episode, I don't think so, we explore her hesitation further. Alex is standing in the galley of the Water Quality Transport and Chemistry Lab, Moby. Her left hand is on the kitchenette counter, steadying herself. Her dinner pouch of dehydrated chicken fried rice is in her right hand. However, her mind is elsewhere. John, the team leader, has just informed Ting Yu, Mateo, and Alex that he needed to go to another detected release indicator point, or DRIP, elsewhere and they are to keep going to Winnemucca, Nevada to do that potentially hazardous chemical contamination investigation on their own with Alex in charge. He is now headed south on I-95 towards the Hawthorne area, the opposite direction of where Alex needs him to be. She and her team are one hour into a two and a half hour trip from Reno to Winnemucca, Nevada. That means she has an hour and a half to get a handle on the situation. Alex does not want to lead the team. Alex feels a nudge on her right calf. It is her dog reminding her that he is hungry too. Oh, sorry, Max. I didn't forget you. She puts her dinner on the dinette table and goes about dishing out Max's food while running the situation through in her head. She decides her first step is to call John. She gives Max his bowl of food along with a pat on the head and then settles into the dinette bench with her back to Ting Yu and Mateo. Alex takes out her phone and hits John's contact number. Maybe a deep breath will help. John expects her call and answers without annoyance or impatience. He is ready to help in any way he can. John is an excellent team leader and understands the right way to communicate. Alex relates her reluctance to lead the team. She feels completely comfortable with her current responsibilities, but as lead, she would need to coordinate all public and private entities by organizing briefs, meetings, and press conferences. All of these are out of her skill set and she has zero confidence in her ability to complete them at the required level of quality. He listens to her concerns and tells her he has complete confidence in her ability. Without a doubt, he believes she is capable and ready to lead. He reminds her about the H2OQ digital SOP manual. The media SOP is in there, and if she follows what it says, she will be fine. They finish the call, but Alex is still not convinced. She grabs a handheld device, sits back down, and brings up the manual. Alex scrolls through a few pages, not seeing the words. Then, suddenly, she feels the beginnings of a panic attack. They don't happen often, 
and they have never been severe. She knows she needs to allow it to pass. She thinks back to being left in charge of her eight-year-old brother Tyler when she was about to turn ten. A few days before Alex's birthday, her mother wanted to get things for her birthday party. Alex's mother knew she was a bit young to babysit, but she would be gone for no more than 15 minutes, and Alex was a very responsible kid from an early age. Now, the village of Dora, New Mexico, where Alex grew up, struggled from time to time with coliform water contamination in the wells that provided the community water. This time, the contamination was an E. coli strain, and there was a boil order for potable water. Unfortunately, Alex was so excited about the princess costume for her birthday that she didn't see Tyler get a drink from the kitchen sink. He became very sick from the contamination, and eventually he recovered. Regardless, she has always blamed herself. The memory of this incident has left Alex with several crucial traits. To begin, the importance she places on clean water. Then, a strong urge to protect those who cannot fend for themselves. But also, the palpable fear of being responsible for anything of significant importance. She knows that having Max as her pet and training him has strengthened her responsibility skills. And yet, being the lead person responsible for the health and safety of an entire community is beyond her current capacity. On top of the guilt, she has a basic survival instinct to hide this incident from the world. Even though it could have been worse, she fears that the world will discover her shame and destroy everything she has worked to create. This elemental thought process differentiates her fear of public speaking in front of adults from teaching hundreds of students at an elementary school. While children don't know or care about such things, there is the possibility that adults would see her differently. At least, that is what she fears. A few deep breaths, and the panic subsides. She picks up her food pouch, realizing it is now cold, and, not having an appetite, she tosses it into the trash bin. There must be a way to not be in charge and still maintain her position within the team. She would never consider walking away. There has to be another option. She decides to learn more about the drip by talking to Ting Yu and Mateo for the time being. The ensuing discussion fills the remaining drive time to Winnemucca. During that time, additional details arrive on Moby's computers from the H2OQ base in Reno. The addition of essential information to the developing dossier on this investigation creates a broader picture of what is happening. A key piece of information is that the chemical detected is arsenic. That supports Ting Yu's earlier point that the contamination could be related to one or more wells owned by a mining interest in the area. Arsenic occurs naturally alongside gold deposits, and gold mining in this area is ongoing. In addition, abandoned mine shafts can fill with water and allow arsenic to leach into the underlying aquifer. It is just after 5 p.m. when they arrive in the Winnemucca area, and the sun will set at 6.51.
The government contract H2OQ holds stipulates that the initial water test must occur within six hours at any drip point. That means they have until 7.42 to take the first sample. On Alex's recommendation, the first stop is the New Frontier RV Park just off I-80, the accommodations John reserved before they left Reno. Alex needs to get Max some exercise for the day. While she does that, Mateo and Ting Yu can drive Moby to well number 136658 and draw the sample. Max does indeed need to go for a run, but in reality, Alex uses this not to have to go along and thus avoid contact with whoever will be at Winnemucca Farms and give her time to find an alternative leader for the team. The New Frontier RV Park not only has full hookup sites for RVs, it also has cabins around the outer edge of the park. John reserved one of these cabins for Alex and Ting Yu while Mateo bunks down in Moby. The team was able to drop off the ladies' travel bags before Ting Yu and Mateo left to get the water test sample. Alex quickly puts on running gear and heads out with Max on a trail close to the cabin. A trail run with her best friend is just what the doctor ordered. The whole area is a web of trails and it is easy to find a loop of about five miles to put Max and herself through their paces and get back before sunset. As soon as they return from their run, Alex receives a call from Mateo with a request. As she gets herself and Max a drink of water, Mateo explains that they arrived at the drip location and are in the process of taking the sample. However, the Winnemucca Farms manager reconnoitering with them doesn't understand the big deal. For the last seven weeks, they suspended irrigation from their wells to prep the potato crop for harvesting. They completed the harvest yesterday, and today's water flow was to reduce fugitive dust following USDA-recommended procedures. The manager wants to talk with the person in charge. On a whim, Alex suggests Ting Yu or Mateo take the lead since they are already there. She waits for a response, but there is only silence on the other end. Finally, realizing that is his answer, Alex directs Mateo to tell the manager that the team leader will be there first thing in the morning. To herself, she hopes it will not be her. Alex ends the call and looks up into the west. The sun is setting in a gorgeous blend of colors stretching across the entire western sky. Every difficulty in her mind is instantly pushed aside. Nearest to the horizon, the mountain ranges are pure black silhouettes against a bright blue and eternally distant sky. The cyan hue blends from lighter at the ridgeline to darker as it goes up. A few wispy, dark gray clouds dot the blue panorama like gargantuan sea creatures playing in azure waters. The highest in the sky is the headliner of the show. At the top, where the luminary of any performance should be, is a roiling sea of orange and purple clouds extending halfway overhead towards the east. The sheer vastness of it all takes Alex's breath away. 
it is moments like this that remind her of what she loves about desert areas. So much sky and so little civilization. Max is at her side. She reaches down to pet his head. Alex wonders what, if anything, Max thinks about sunsets as incredible as this. After a moment longer to savor the experience, a glance at her phone reminds her that Ting Yu and Mateo will be back soon, and there is a phone call she wants to make before they return. She signals Max to follow her. They take a few steps up and enter through the cabin door. The cabin is cozy, with a living room, dining area, kitchen, bedroom, and bath. The space is long and narrow, like a trailer home, but in no way gives off that vibe. It will work well for them to share meals and discuss the investigation. Alex settles into the sofa and picks Greta Nolan's number from her contacts. Greta is the dispatcher for the San Francisco H2OQ branch. Alex doesn't usually contact Greta directly, but this situation is different. And, anyway, Alex is the lead now, right? After a moment, Greta answers and they exchange pleasantries. Then, Alex gets to the point and explains how she feels it would be better if Dispatch would send someone else to take the leader position. Greta explains that the available leads are all in the San Francisco area for a conference. Regardless, why send someone on a five-and-a-half-hour drive when we have a competent, capable employee already on site? Alex, you can do this. Everyone believes in you. One last shot, Alex asks if John will be able to rejoin them soon. Greta tells her that scenario is unlikely. The conference in San Fran has left them shorthanded. She reiterates her confidence in Alex and assures her that staff in any H2OQ office is available for anything she needs. She should call Reno first, but one of the others is also available if Reno can't deliver. Alex ends the call, unable to get the answer she is looking for. Just then, Ting Yu taps lightly on the door as she enters and asks, Can I come in? Yes, yes, absolutely, replies Alex. Ting Yu enters the cabin with restaurant carryout bags. We stopped at Winger's and picked up something to eat. Is a cob salad okay for you? Alex says yes and gets up to help get plates and silverware to lay out on the dining table. Once seated, Mateo addresses Alex. He unwraps a burger with fries and tells Alex that Ting Yu and himself talked on the way to the restaurant. They have no idea why Alex is reluctant to be the leader. Press conferences can be complex, but they will help her get everything she needs together and in order. They know she is a great team player. Lead is just a different position in the same team. Ting Yu sees Alex's doubt in his last statement and puts a hand on Alex's arm. You can do this. I know you can. Alex pokes the fork at her salad, still running everything through her mind. Finally, she realizes there is only one option. She must step up and take the lead. That is where we and our hero will take a rest for this week. In next week's episode, we should discover how Alex handles being in charge. 
or will we? I would like to take a moment to correct an oversight on my part in last week's episode. I did not credit the artists who created the perfect music pieces I featured. The 40-Day Hero's Journey theme music is Longing for Home by Christopher Mo Ditlifson. In addition, the theme music for episode 1A is Desert Drive by Garrett Inigo, and the theme music for episode 1B is Desert Fighter by Max Anson. All music and sound effects are courtesy of EpidemicSound.com, the market-leading platform for restriction-free music heard around the globe. Epidemic Sound is on a mission to soundtrack the world. To do this, they have democratized access to music for storytellers, and their innovative digital rights model paves the way for creators. Epidemic Sound enables everyone from YouTubers to small businesses to the world's largest brands to use restriction-free music to take their content to the next level, while at the same time supporting the musicians it works with both financially and creatively. Their stellar user experience and interface with over 35,000 tracks and 90,000 sound effects make finding the perfect track easy and multiple pricing plans make it affordable, even to creators like me who are just starting their content creation journey. And no, they are not my sponsor. Nevertheless, I am simply thrilled with every aspect of their business model and want to support their efforts in any way I can. <laughs>